When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the Strangeology Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Boren. From cryptozoology, ufology, and the paranormal, to legends, forbidden history, and more, listen in and explore the world of the weird and unexplained. Join me as I look into strange and fascinating tales and unearth the truths and theories behind some of the world's greatest mysteries. Be sure to head on over to our HQ, strangeology.com, where you can check out our blog, episodes archive, gift shop, Sign up to our email list, and so much more. For daily updates, trivia, shenanigans, and the occasional giveaway, follow us on social media over Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And now, on to this week's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Strangeology Podcast for another installment of The Weird and Unexplained. I hope everyone out there is gearing up for spring and warmer weather. We had a few warm days here in New England, but that was kind of just a tease, like fake spring really, because um, now we're back into a cold snap and it looks like it's snowing outside right now, but... Uh, it should be warming up again next week, uh, which is exciting. <laughs> um, as far as what I've been up to, besides researching for this episode, uh, I've got a couple new designs over in the shop that you should all check out. Um, also, if you're not on the new Clubhouse app yet, uh, you really should check that out if you get the chance uh, currently it's just for iPhone users, uh, or iPad users. Um, not quite, quite ready to be out on Android yet, but, uh, there's now a dedicated cryptozoology room curated by Jeremiah from Bigfoot Society. The group has over 60 members now, and it's uh, continuing to grow every day. Uh, and new rooms are being started within this club that are all dealing with uh, various topics about uh, cryptozoology and different kinds of cryptids. And there's some really cool conversations and knowledge being shared uh, and things being talked about. So uh, probably not something you want to miss out on if you are, <laughs> you're an enthusiast of uh, cryptozoology. And also another news, um, I dropped a, another YouTube video last week I decided to stick with uh, that top five cryptids theme I had with the first one. Uh, but instead of, you know, another West Virginia video, this time I decided to take a look at 
the top five uh, Ohio-based cryptids. Uh, and that was a fun video to put together. Um, and I'm planning on doing an ongoing uh, series with that kind of top five theme uh, as I move forward, making more videos for YouTube. Uh, but I do have, you know, other other ideas and, and stuff I want to make videos on beyond that, even beyond the realm of cryptozoology. So a lot of ideas. <laughs> what can I say? I, uh, I just can't get enough of the weird. <laughs> um, oh, and uh, be sure to also check out uh, my website, strangeology.com. I recently posted my first guest blog submission, which is a fun read into uh, the paranormal. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping to get more people to submit articles. So if that sounds like something that interests you, definitely drop me a line. Uh, either you know, hit me up on my Instagram DMs, or you can email me always anytime at uh, strangeologist.com, though sometimes I forget to check that email for a few days, so don't be alarmed if I don't get back to you immediately. So anyway, uh, we're, we're going to skip the, the weird news this week. Um, you know, that's a, a fun little segment, but the topic of this, this episode is kind of going to go off the rails a little bit. So, you know, if you read the title of the episode, which I'm, I'm sure you have, uh, you might already know what you're in for. So, uh, so hold on to your butts, people, because it's about to get weird. So if you're a fan of time travel stories or grew up like me watching movies like Back to the Future, uh, the whole trilogy, uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, uh, the Terminator series, uh, I think you're going to dig this. And I know I'm, I'm stoked on it. <laughs> I've been wanting to talk about this for forever. Um, it's, if you're a sci-fi fan, you know that time travel has long been uh, a staple of, of countless TV shows, movies, and books, and there's a whole plethora of stories, but today the topic, of course, is none other than The Legend of John Teeter. This story is one of the first things that actually sent me down the rabbit hole into the world of internet conspiracies, mysteries, and just all-around weird stories. <laughs> And it, it kind of has a, like a special place in my heart in that regard. Um, and really, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of this, this story is one of the, like the first of its kind, um, that kind of took the internet by storm and, you know, created this whole mythos around it. So, um, I can't say I was present and observing things when they were going down. But uh, I remember reading back through the old message boards shortly after I, I learned about it and just like having my, my mind blown. And I was like, holy shit, <laughs> uh, are these stories legit? And is the world going to end in a couple years according to this, this person that's making all these posts. And if I remember correctly, I think I, I first learned about John Teeter from the now defunct anomalies.net forums, uh, in like late 2001, early 2002. And it was only like a, a, you know, six, seven months after everything happened. Um, so, you know, early days of the, uh, the internet, <laughs> no one knows what's going on. Um, and then at, uh, some point after, um, somebody created, uh, the website, johnteeter.com, uh, which is actually, it's still up. I <laughs> typed in the URL and it's, it's still going, although it had, you know, it's, it hasn't been touched in a long time. And I remember for, years afterwards checking in periodically to see if there were any new updates on the John Teeter story or occasionally the the webmaster there would post like 
news articles about like some physics breakthrough or some new theory that had to do with time travel to kind of just like keep people wondering like, Oh, maybe this is legit. <laughs> um, you know, but after a while, the the owner seems to have, have stopped posting anything new, um, and hasn't for years. Um, but you know, I, I, I decided to get into this, this topic for, for today's episode, um, because like in the past year, I've kind of reflected on the story a little bit and it's kind of made me wonder if there was some kind of kernel or, of truth to it, uh, considering recent events or, you know, maybe it's all BS and whoever came up with the story was either a, a, a great prognosticator or they, they had some other kind of knowledge. <laughs> um, so anyway, let's, let's jump into this and find out what the deal is with this infamous time traveler who sent shockwaves through the internet in the early 2000s. If you have a, a rudimentary knowledge of the story, you might think that the story of John Teeter started in the year 2000, but the story actually begins back in 1998 when Art Bell uh, received two faxes during a series he was doing uh, on people claiming to be time travelers. The show was called Open Lines, which was part of Coast to Coast AM. And Art Bell's show used to thrive on interviews from really eccentric people who would call in talking about all sorts of weird shit, like he saw a UFO, you know, there's time travelers whatever. <laughs> um, it definitely got weird. So when Art received two faxes uh, in the summer of 98 uh, from someone claiming to be an American soldier who time traveled from the year 2036, it was hardly a crazy revelation. Uh, and it seems like it's this part of the story is overlooked a little bit sometimes. Um, and interestingly, when Art Bell finally uh, got around to reading this fax on his show, he actually got a second fax like while he was live on the air from this same person who was. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm just going to I'm going to read a little bit from this this fax. So we kind of have a setup of what's to come. The fax says, dear Art. I had to fax when I heard other time travelers calling in from any time past the year 2500 AD. Please let me explain. Time travel was invented in 2034. Offshoots of certain successful fusion reactors research allowed scientists at CERN to produce the world's first contained singularity engine. The basic design involves rotating singularities inside a magnetic field. By altering the speed and direction of rotation, you can travel both forward and backwards in time. Time itself can be understood in the terms of connected lines. When you go back in time, you travel on your original timeline. And when you turn your singularity engine off, a new timeline is created, due to the fact that you and your time machine are now there. In other words, a new, a new universe is created. To get back to your original line, you must travel a split second farther back in time and immediately throw the engine into forward without turning it off. So this guy, whoever it is, goes on to explain that he's met his past self, even going as far as taking his his doppelganger on, on joyrides with him in his time machine and... Uh, before they both return to their respective timelines. And he also goes on to explain that there's subtle differences between these different timelines, like certain car models that he knows of from his world that don't exist in the world he traveled to, our world, or uh, books that are released at later dates, um, and even skyscrapers and buildings that are there in one timeline and not in another. So you, uh, you've also apparently, according to him, you have to compensate for the orbit of the Earth to keep your time machine anchored to the planet 
while you're traveling. Otherwise, you apparently will just wind up in outer space or in a mountain because the Earth is always moving. And of the first like concerning uh, predictions that were made, and there okay, there are a lot of predictions made by by this this character. So the the first one you know from these initial facts was that Y two K. If anyone remembers Y two K, it was a big fat nothing burger. But <laughs> people were really freaked out about it back in the late nineties. Uh, he claimed that it would be a disaster um, and things were going to get really, really bad because of it. Um, and then another thing that he had mentioned was that apparently in his time, there's other people who are time travelers and they discovered if they jump forward in time, they hit a brick wall around the year 2564, which was the reason why I guess the facts was you know, sent because people were claiming to be from beyond that year. And according to this guy, uh, apparently anyone who went that far into the future only finds themselves in a silent black void. Like there was some kind of universe ending event that happened. Who knows? But, um, and there was also, uh, interestingly, some claims about conflict in the Middle East, too. Um, but that's, uh, for that time period, not terribly surprising. That was the last we heard from this anonymous person. But two years later, somebody that sounded an awful lot like the fax machine time traveler began posting on Internet message boards, also claiming to be an American soldier from the year 2036, who was sent on a mission to the past. It's largely believed by people who have investigated and researched John Teeter um, and, you know, true believers in the story that these uh, two characters are, are one in the same. And, you know, it's, it seems to be that's probably the case. So you have to wonder, you always hear in stories like these, at least in fiction, that it's uh, it's a, like a cardinal rule that time travelers aren't supposed to disrupt anything in the past, much less interact and tell tons of people information about the future, or else things might get really messed up, and it'll probably create some paradoxes, you know? Uh, so what was the motive of this person divulging all this information if it was true that they were a time traveler was this all some grand story for someone to eventually get rich uh from books and movie deals <laughs> or you know whoever john teeter was um his stories have since sparked an ongoing series of investigations into the truth behind uh, who he was uh, by internet sleuths and private investigators. And, you know, people, people became obsessed with finding, finding out the truth and, you know, noticing in inconsistencies in his claims and, and trying to debunk the story and just put a, put an end to it. Um, probably the, one of the biggest um, people who, have uh, worked at, at debunking this is John Houston, otherwise known as John Rasmus. Uh, and he became really involved in the case. And we'll, we'll talk about him more uh, quite a bit later on. <laughs> so, all right, uh, let's get into the, the meat and potatoes of the story. Before John Teeter was John Teeter, he first used the moniker time travel underscore zero. And he began his four month message board residency by initially posting pictures of his time machine along with its operations manual, you know, in, in addition to being like, Hey, I'm a, a time traveler from the year 2036. Check this out. <laughs> um, and as time went on, he made a lot of claims about the physics of time travel, uh, what his mission was, his thoughts about our time period, and you know, more forebodingly, certain world events that happened 
allegedly, in his timeline that he believed our world was well on track to experience. Yeah, so stick around and we'll see if any of it came true. Um, so he first showed up on the Time Travel Institute forums on November 2nd in the year 2000. And though he wouldn't use his other alias for a little while, his posts discussed uh, the general ideas of time travel. Uh, he went on to post about uh, something called the the six parts description, uh, which I'll get into it in a little bit, but it basically entailed what, uh, what would be needed to make a time machine function properly. So this time travel zero person also stayed busy engaging with other forum users and answering their questions about how, how his time machine worked. Um, and also, <laughs> also like pissed people off, scared people and even kind of belittled people from time to time, <laughs> you know, like a, a time travel troll, if you will. Uh, by the time that January, 2001 rolled around, uh, this time travel zero person joined the old Art Bell forums, which no longer exist. Um, and even on uh, the old anomalies.net forum, uh, which also is is gone, though, uh, you know, all the old posts are, are archived on the Internet in various places to see. So if you if you do want to read the original source, <laughs> be my guest. It's there's a lot of it, though. Now. Here's where the name John Teeter comes into play. At the Art Bell forums, the way things were set up required user accounts to use a, a real name, and thus Time Travel Zero began using the name John Teeter. Whoever this person was uh, informed the community on March 24th, 2001, uh, that he would soon be leaving our world and returning to his timeline in 2036 and after that John Teeter was not heard from again or was he so who was John Teeter and what did he have to say about the future of people living in the year 2000 and could some of his I guess uh, predictions have real world parallels today most people pass off the story of John Teeter as, as mere fantasy or science fiction. Uh, you know, most people think he was probably some kind of computer or engineering person that had a lot of knowledge about um, theories and, and other nerdy shit. <laughs> and uh, he was playing some, some big prank on people back in the day. But the more you read into the story, it really makes you wonder, like, was there something to this story rather than it just being a hoax? So let's find out. So according to the post that he made, Teeter claimed to be an American soldier and temporal agent from 2036, and he was from Tampa, Florida. He was apparently assigned to this government time travel initiative and was sent back to the year 1975 to retrieve an old IBM computer, the IBM 5100, uh, which is uh, an early computer model uh, that, according to him, would help scientists of his time decode other uh, computer programs. And I know what you're thinking, like, why would someone from 2036 need some computer that old in his time those machines are are over 60 year old <laughs> hunks of junk probably and apparently the reason is that uh these old machines didn't really exist in the future anymore and they were needed to debug uh legacy computer programs back in his time and apparently also in his time like time travel was kind of well known. It wasn't really kept a secret, and there were several other units and and time travelers that are just like whipping through, whipping through space and time here, which is you know interesting. So 
Teeter went on to explain that he was chosen for the mission because his grandfather was directly involved with putting the IBM 5100 computers together and programming them. That, and by the 2030s, uh, Teeter had a, attended college to become a, a historian and, and knew the time period of the later 20th century pretty well. And beyond that, he went on to describe certain uh, unpublicized functions of this computer that apparently only a handful of people knew about before this Teeter character mentioned them. And interestingly, in 2012, Oliver Williams, who is a John Teeter archivist, uh, stated that some IBM engineers actually came forward and said they weren't sure if this guy was a time traveler or not, but everything he said about that machine is true, and maybe only 20 people knew about the computer's abilities which allowed these computers to use uh, the programming languages BASIC and APL uh, to speak with a lot of other uh, old computer models. And then, according to Teeter's story, he did meet with his grandfather at some point uh, back in the 70s so he could retrieve this this, uh, fabled machine to help save the future. Uh, Some researchers have speculated that the need for this computer relates to the 2038 Unix problem, since it can communicate with a lot of old mainframe languages. The 2038 problem is kind of like uh, Y2K, and the brief layman's definition, which I I barely understand it, (laughs) uh, is that It has to do with the limitations of 32-bit systems that were put into place like decades ago. And essentially, these systems have an insufficient capacity to represent time beyond a certain date or integer, which uh, happens to be January 19th, 2038. And after this point in time, computers uh, won't be able to encode time beyond then and then they kind of just switch back to 1901 um and so when this event happens if it's not fixed it could affect a ton of different uh things computer systems uh and keep them from functioning properly so it's interesting that this alleged time traveler was trying to collect some kind of old technology to help with a real world computer problem that uh, was rapidly approaching in his time so if teeter was originally sent back to 1975 why was he hanging out in the year 2000 and 2001 and even 1998 <laughs> Uh, His explanation was that he was visiting this time for personal reasons, a sort of vague promise uh, that he made to his his grandfather back in 1975. And he spent the the four months he was in this time visiting with his family, his parents, and his uh, two-year-old doppelganger, uh, and collecting old keepsakes like photos that were lost in his time. Um, and, uh, the reason why (laughs) they weren't around, well, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna get into that now because according to Teeter, a whole lot of bad stuff, at least in his timeline was just around the corner before getting into Teeter's, uh, foreboding predictions. It should be noted that, uh, when he posted this info, he was sure to mention the the many worlds or multiverse scenario, which was explained pretty succinctly in, in the original Art Bell facts from 98. Uh, in a lot of time travel stories, though, things are kind of thought of as time being like linear. For example, you travel to the past to change something and then go back to your time and voila, everything's changed. Kind of like uh, in Back to the Future 2 when Biff gets a hold of the sports almanac in 1955. And then when Marty goes back to the future of 1985, (laughs) Biff is this like billionaire tycoon 
like Donald Trump, <laughs> and uh, because he knew what to bet on, since he he got a hold of the almanac and knew all all the uh, the outcomes of every sports game for the next thirty years. Uh, but what Teeter was saying is that there's there's typically a one to two percent divergence rate in timelines which apparently is explained by the Everett Wheeler model of quantum mechanics um, or quantum physics, rather, I guess. (laughs) I'm no physicist, but the further, uh, the further back you go, apparently the, the more different things become. And apparently 60 years or so is around the limit before things become too different, which is actually, around the same amount of time that uh, Teeter allegedly traveled from 2036 to 1975. Uh, So if things are, you know, too different, certain things might not even exist. You know, he, he had mentioned one in one post that, Oh, if he, he traveled back to when Jesus was around, like it's too far back in the past and he might wind up in a a world line that uh, he never even existed in the first place. Um, So basically the act of someone traveling back in time, according to this model, it splinters off into a new and separate timeline entirely um, and has a different future from your original one. The moment you stop the time machine and set foot in it. So with that said, that kind of explains why um, a lot of people <laughs> kind of who who believe in this story, this is kind of their fallback because it explains why our world line is different from Teeter's because, spoiler alert, uh, none of the predictions that I'm about, I'm going to talk about shortly uh, came true uh, at all, at least not in the way Teeter described. Um, it's kind of like a, a get-out-of-jail-free card for him. Uh, when we found out that uh, none of the stuff he he talked about really came to pass, some of the uh, the first warnings from Teeter included in his posts was trying to inform people that there was this threat of uh, a new disease called uh, Kretzville Jacob disease, which apparently is a uh, like a variant of Mad Cow that in his timeline would affect the population uh, being spread through contaminated beef products. And he would be like, people, y'all need to stop eating beef. (laughs) And uh, I remember when Mad Cow actually hit the UK in like the mid nineties. And I don't think I had a hamburger for almost a year because I was, you know, I'm living in the United States and I don't think that it really ever hit here, but I was like scared to death that I was going to get, you know, I was going to get it. Um, and this never, it never really happened on any kind of wide scale, you know, thankfully, but here we are in 2020, 2021, and we're one year into a global pandemic and, uh, it, you know, it's not mad cow obviously. And, uh, it's been a really, really tragic uh, year and event and a lot of, a lot of loss of life. And, um, our lives are, are drastically altered uh, because of this. So that's, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting parallel, you know, thinking back on it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's something to think about, really. Uh, and so now the, uh, the the big one here is that Teeter chronicled the, the story of, in his timeline, uh, having experienced a second American Civil War that found its roots beginning in 2004, which uh, when he was in the year 2000-2001, he felt that our timeline was also pretty much heading towards that direction anyway. According to Teeter, he claimed that civil unrest would begin to unravel the country surrounding the presidential election that year, which kind of has uh, some eerie parallels to 2020, if you think about it. In Teeter's world, at least, he described the new civil war as being about, uh, quote, order and rights, and things would begin to escalate with 
a Waco type event happening every month and it would steadily get worse and worse. And by 2008, uh, it would be pretty much on everyone's front doorstep and become, it would become a full blown conflict. People apparently either decided to stay in cities and lose their civil rights under the guise of security, or they would move out to the country to get away from it all and have freedom. Uh, Teeter mentioned in one post that his father decided they would leave the city that they were in. And uh, after their home was searched and also a neighbor across the street from them was arrested for no reason. Uh, the dividing line that was established seemed pretty clearly and effectively to be between uh, like cities, like urban areas versus rural America. In 2011, when Teeter was 13, he claimed that he had joined a shotgun infantry unit in Florida that was called the Fighting Diamondbacks to help with the war effort, though Teeter did contradict himself uh, in other posts saying that he hid from the war. So, you know, that's probably <laughs> important to note um, throughout this whole thing. One of those inconsistencies that uh, researchers point out. Um, now, this uh, the second civil war in his timeline kept going for years, apparently, and it wound up destabilizing uh, other countries in the West as a whole. And the civil war was then effectively ended in 2015 in what Teeter called End Day, which was when Russia decided, hey, we're going to uh, nuke the U.S. <laughs> and obviously there would have been a response with more nukes flying uh, because this short World War III wound up resulting in, in 3 billion lives lost globally. And in the aftermath, survivors in the United States reorganized the government, apparently into five autonomous regions uh, with five different presidents, uh, and since Washington, D.C. had been taking out, taken out by nukes, the, uh, the nation's ca uh, capital was moved to Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. And uh, Teeter also informed uh, other forum users that governmental power was highly decentralized in his time, and there was a lot more focus on local and state government uh, versus federal government. Um, and with all that mutually assured destruction from World War III, I do have to, I do have to wonder like how how anyone was still alive in in his timeline. Uh, surely, if it was real, there's like you know there's got to be some reason for that. Uh, but interestingly, though, uh, it was said that everyday life is is quite a bit different in Teeter's time than it was in 2000 or even now. Uh, you know, keep in mind that, you know, back when, back when this was all happening, you know, spy, smartphones didn't exist. And like the, the amount that technology has uh, advanced in the last 20 years is pretty, pretty crazy uh, if you think about it. But um, interestingly, though, uh, he stated that uh, life is life in his time is, is much more centered around uh, family first and then the community. Uh, and he couldn't ever imagine living away from his parents and family members. Um, so it sounds like, you know, a lot more tribal. And I guess that could sort of make sense in like a post-nuclear post apocalypse type of scenario. Uh, and apparently after the war, uh, mass production of food and consumer goods effectively stopped, you know, that whole infrastructure was gone, uh, which led to uh, most people growing their food uh, by themselves on their own properties and, and raising livestock locally. So a much more local-based economy versus uh, national or global, uh, which is interesting. Um, and apparently people <laughs> spent a lot more face-to-face -face time, uh, which is not something we can really do right now. And uh, People also uh, take religion a lot more seriously, uh, but apparently uh, little to no major religious 
religious institutions remained in his time, according to Teeter. So it's like, that's uh, that's a lot of info there. But as far as uh, other hints of, of things to come in our time, keep in mind, this was, you know, it was all being posted on the early days of the internet and September 11th hadn't even happened yet. And in once one response to uh, someone on the board, Teeter stated, um, quote, I'm glad to see it's so easy for someone to dismiss the Middle East. Yes, I suppose it is a no-brainer, but pretty soon it will be a, quote, no-arbor and a, quote, no-legger. Could that have been referring to the coming wars in Afghanistan and Iraq? Uh, It's a curious statement to make uh, in that time for sure. So, um, and also there was mentioned that... uh, the Olympics in 2004 would be the last ones to ever happen due to the, the growing civil un- unrest and conflict. And, you know, now we have uh, a canceled Olympics from 2020 and who knows when, when they will uh, start up again. It's uh, yeah, it's, it gets weird guys. I don't know. <laughs> uh, another interesting prediction was about wireless internet technology in uh 2000 and 2001, the wireless technology just wasn't around yet. There may have been some concepts of it somewhere being developed, but the general public uh, would have had no idea. And Teeter's description claimed that the uh, the Internet of the future was based on a series of independent, self-powered mobile nodes that can be set up anywhere, kind of like you know cell phone networks at the time. Um, and now we have this, you know, wireless technology and you can pretty much get the internet anywhere there's service. (laughs) Um, and then there's also, uh, this is one thing that I, in my research that I thought was kind of interesting and isn't, I, I don't feel like it's ever really mentioned all that often. Maybe I'm wrong, but there's, uh, a mention about the monetary system in the future being decentralized. And when I was researching and rereading Teeter's old posts and, and saw this and I was like, I feel like, yeah, no one mentions this. And what's interesting about it is that we do have a kind of, you know, decentralized currency now in the form of uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin and all the others that are out there. Um, and Bitcoin didn't come out until 2008. So something to think about, you know, whoever this was, even if they weren't a time travel traveler, they kind of predicted something that <laughs> has kind of, you know, materialized for sure. Uh, you know, maybe John Teeter was actually Satoshi Nakamoto. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I'm kidding, but yeah. Um, so the time machine, um, I mentioned earlier in some of his first posts that Teeter had posted pictures online of the uh, the time machine and its operations manual, um, and he outlined this like six parts uh, description of how it all worked. So number one, I'm just going to read these off real quick. Um, you need a uh, two magnetic housing units for the dual micro-singularities. Secondly, you need an electron injection manifold to alter mass and gravity of the micro-singularities. Third, you need a cooling and x-ray venting system. Fourth, you need gravity sensors or a variable gravity lock because uh, Teeter explained that altering gravity wasn't the hard part of time travel. Apparently, it was the detection of it. Um, fifth you need uh, four main cesium clocks and finally three main computer units sounds a, b- a bit Star Trekky, <laughs> if I'm being honest a lot of techno babble in there you know um, and he went on to explain that the uh, this 500 pound time machine he used was it was built by General Electric in the future and it was a, uh, a, quote, stationary mass temporal displacement unit powered by two topspin dual positive singularities producing a standard offset Tipler sinusoid. 
and this machine was installed into, uh, for some reason, uh, into a 1967 Chevy Corvette, which I guess uh, people must have still <laughs> still maintained some of those in, in the future, <laughs> and then later into a 1987 truck. You know, kind of sounds straight out of uh, an 80s movie like Back to the Future, right? Uh, so what the hell does all of this mean? You know, what's a, what's a Tipler sinusoid? Well, I looked into it and, uh, interestingly, uh, it's actually all based on real physics, uh, theoretical physics at least. And so back in the, the 1920s and thirties, uh, these two physicists by the name of, uh, Willem, uh, Jacob von Stockholm, and uh, Cornell Langsos, to- probably totally butchered that, <laughs> uh, discovered um, a solution to um, some of the equations of Einstein's theory of general relativity. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, years later, uh, in the 1970s, that another physicist by the name of Frank Tipler, uh, he did an analysis on this theory, and in 1974, um, the Tipler cylinder was realized. And without going to, into a lot of the physics, uh, because honestly, I, I don't really understand much of it, uh, if at all, uh, is that it's uh, basically this hypothetical cylindrical object uh, that's thought to be a potential mode of time travel in which it, it warps uh, space-time in such a way that if you traveled with enough speed and in the right direction, you would actually be able to travel backwards in time. Uh, Though it only works if the cylinder's length is either infinite or if uh, something called negative energy exists and is able to be harnessed, which, you know, maybe that's where the idea of these, uh, the mini uh, black holes or dual singularities come into play in the theory. Um, so Teeter told users on the forums that he posted in that CERN, uh, you know, the organization that runs the, the large Hadron Collider, um, and finally discovered the, the God particle, the, the Higgs boson a couple of years ago. Um, according to Teeter in his world, they apparently discovered in 2002 that, um, there was a way to create micro singularities that would evaporate almost immediately. So there wasn't really any inherent danger to the planet. Um, and after that discovery, Teeter explained that, um, you know, years later, CERN finally figured out that they were able to add electrical charges, uh, to these micro singularities. Um, and they were able to harness them within a magnetic field and then further experiments led to CERN discovering that if you bombarded uh, two overlapping singularities with electrons, it apparently altered uh, their gravi- gravitational field. And then somehow that effect lets you travel forward or backwards in time. So by 2034, in Teeter's world, uh, time travel was finally developed, apparently. Uh and interestingly, back in um, October of 2020, just you know, a few months ago, articles started circulating around the internet that CERN is planning uh, a new experiment that may actually generate microscopic black holes that could also grant access to uh, parallel universes. Uh, but CERN denies that they actually have the capability to do so uh, right on their website. And it's probably largely because when uh, the Large Hadron Collider was turned on back in like 2008, 2009, there was a lot of conspiracy theories and a lot of people worried that uh, the act of turning on this uh, 17 mile or 27 kilometer particle accelerator and it was going to uh, create a black hole that was going to suck up the earth. But, <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that didn't happen, obviously. We're still here. Uh, but, you know, on the same page, CERN also does admit that uh, 
it may be possible to create a quote tiny quantum black hole. Uh, so whatever that means, I'm not sure, but it's so it's kind of something to think about. It's it's certainly interesting. I'll, I'll give them that. So, why did this person claiming to be a time traveler from the year 2036 divulge all of this information to people in the year 2000? In 2001, uh, it seems, you know, it seems to kind of break the rules of time travel, right? It seemed like he also kind of had this like apathetic attitude uh, to our time and, and the people in it. Uh, and in many posts, he was quoted as saying that, uh, I think the war would be good for you and your society. I don't want to stop it. <laughs> Sounds real nice, John. Um, and and then private messages. Um, apparently, one form uh, forum user, um, he revealed to that he actually hated our time, and it was this period of people uh, having all that they needed, and then they squandered it, and things like went to ruin with civilization. Um, and you know, it's people from his timeline apparently didn't look too fondly upon the people of, you know, the, the turn of the, the millennia. So, uh, Teeter knew that there wasn't a way to prove any of his claims. And while he didn't care about be, being believed or not, he at least apparently hoped that his stories were entertaining. I mean, I was entertained by them when I was reading them for the first time. And, uh, certainly a lot of people, uh, have been since, uh, but near the end of his his time here, allegedly, <laughs> on uh, the internet forums, he stated that the reason that time travelers don't generally reveal themselves uh, is um, because they're scared to death of our society, and they're afraid that like if if uh, other temporal drivers or or you know, John Teeter himself were, were found out he might wind up in, uh, some cement room in a basement somewhere being given like, uh, uh, a lifetime supply of sodium pentothal <laughs> and having his time machine poked at and dismantled and reverse engineered. And then it's like in the wrong, the wrong hands. Uh, so in a way that I don't know. That also kind of contradicts his previous statement about not caring if he's believed or not, uh, because that does sound like he cares at least a little, uh, in the sense that he doesn't want someone to believe him, um, and then go on to harm him in some way. Uh, I guess that probably makes sense. Uh, and finally, um, Tater's last post before vanishing. Uh, off the internet was uh, a little bit haunting and I'm going to read uh, a little of it here. So Teeter goes on to say, I will be leaving this world line shortly and this will be my final post. There are only a handful of people who will know exactly when I will be leaving and I'm sure they will let you know when I'm gone. In the last few days, I've found your choice of topics quite interesting and from an objective viewpoint, I think it collectively answers one of your own questions. If time travel is real, where are all the time travelers? In the past, I've stated that, quite frankly, you all scare the hell out of me, and I'm sure other temporal drivers would feel the same. But now, I have an expanded explanation with two examples. A while ago, I related an experience I had with my parents while we were driving down a highway. Every now and then, we would pass someone who was in an obvious distress with their vehicle. I was amazed that so many people could pass them by without stopping to help. Their explanation was fear. The risk of helping someone was too great, and with today's technology, they probably had a cell phone anyway. If they didn't, the walk to the gas station would be good for them and teach them a lesson for running out of gas. The other example is the plight of the homeless. When you pass them as individuals on the street, I see the way people selectively choose an alternate path to avoid them. Those two examples best define why time travelers do not show themselves. In trying to help you, we put ourselves at great risk, and there's really no point to it. We know the nature of time dictates that traveling between exact world lines is impossible. Therefore, the only results we will see will be the ones we stay to see. Since world lines, outcomes, and events are infinite, 
we have better things to do. And in a parting piece of advice, Teeter says to bring a gas can with you when your car dies on the side of the road. It might do you some good. And that, my friends, is part one of the story of John Teeter. What a freaking roller coaster. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm leaving you with a little bit of a cliffhanger of sorts. Uh, but the more I kept researching um, about him and and, lear- and learning new things that I didn't know before, I decided that this thing had to be broken up into two parts because we're already kind of at the top of the hour here. <laughs> and uh, my voice is shredded, if you can't tell. But um, so, yeah, uh, next episode, which I'm, I'm hoping to... Uh, actually get out next week, um, is going to dive into the aftermath of John Teeter's posts on the internet back in 2000 and 2001. And, and maybe, um, more John Teeters have appeared since, uh, (laughs) and also, uh, we're going to look into a special connection that Teeter had made with somebody on the forums back then who claims to still have some form of contact with him, and uh, as well as the theories on the the who done it, if uh, Teeter was just an elaborate hoax or uh, some kind of big art project, uh, <laughs> if you will. So stay tuned for the next episode. All right, that uh, that does it for this episode. I wanted to give. A, uh, a quick shout out to everyone who uh, participated in my recent YouTube subscriber giveaway I did the other weeks. Uh, congrats to Justin over at Theory Podcast for being the winner. Um, a lot of people uh, entered, which was awesome, and it boosted my my YouTube uh, subscribership up to uh, up to the fifties and sixties, which is awesome. So hoping that uh, if you if y'all are listening to this and uh, you, you aren't aware that I also have a YouTube channel, uh, please go, uh, subscribe and like comment and, uh, hit the bell icon, whatever, (laughs) whatever it is that you got to do. Um, and, uh, uh, what else? Yeah. So (laughs) uh, definitely follow me over on Instagram too. Uh, and, uh, you know, you might get lucky and, and, uh, hear about a giveaway and win some strangeology merch. And the, the collection keeps growing, too. I just released a, a Snallygaster shirt for Maryland as part of the Home State Cryptids collection I've been working on uh, since last year, uh, uh, along with a couple other new designs that are quite fun. Um, but the Snally shirt is uh, it's definitely one of my uh, favorites so far for the Home State Cryptids uh, designs. So be sure to check out the shop if you have a, a chance uh, the link is in the show notes and also over on my website. Um, and I've also got like a, a link tree link on Instagram as well. Um, so you can just tap that real easy and, and find all the, the relevant links that you need to. Um, big thanks to all of my listeners, wherever you may be. Uh, your support means the world to me. And I am super stoked that Strangeology is getting people from all over the world to tune in and listen to the weird topics that I love getting into. Um, and before the last episode um, aired, I was just under 400 downloads. And as of recording this episode, the show is uh, starting to push uh, 600 downloads, which is really, really amazing. So let's keep that train going, everyone. Uh, if you like this episode or any episode I've published so far, uh, please share it with friends and family. Uh, on social media. It helps me out a ton. And uh, if you're looking for a small way to help out the podcast and what I do, you know, please head over to the, to my shop. There's a, there's a lot of cool items there and uh, always expanding. Um, I'm also, uh, I'm considering starting a, a Patreon uh, at some point soon, kind of like for uh, exclusive content, uh, exclusive merch, um, and probably like merch discount coupon codes uh, and maybe some behind these behind the scenes stuff, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I got to figure it all out, but um, you know, if that sounds, uh, sounds like something you're, you'd be interested in uh, supporting, you know, let me know in the, the comments on, uh, on my Instagram post or, or wherever, shoot me an email. Um, and uh, thank you to the, uh, the couple folks 
that have left five star reviews for the podcast over on Apple for Strangeology. I hadn't thought to check that out yet. And uh, just the other day I was like, oh, I should probably check. And, uh, you know, that was really awesome. It makes me feel feel really nice. Um, so if you do have some nice stuff to say, uh, probably help me out a lot and I'd appreciate it. Uh, if you took the time to, to leave a review, that would be amazing. And all right. So we've been going for a long, long time. Uh, probably time to call it a day at this point. Uh, so make sure to tune in next time, uh, to find out just, uh, who was behind the legend of John Teeter. And the further down the rabbit hole you go with this story, the, the weirder it gets. And, you know, that's what we're here for. So until next time, guys, take care of yourselves and each other and keep it strange. <laughs>